0: It's good to see all of you tonight. I have to apologize for Don for giving him such a long reading. That was 11 verses. He wondered if I was mad at him because I gave him so many verses to read. You'll know when I'm mad. It'll be that passage in Chronicles or something with all those begats. That's, that's when you know I'm mad at you. But I, I did have him read that because it does touch on a, a point that I want to address tonight. Jesus said some hard sayings in John chapter 6. He talked about, if you were to be my disciple, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people didn't understand what he was saying, and many ceased to follow him after that. And um, Jesus asked his immediate disciples, are you going to leave too? And Peter then spoke up and said, where would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ. And so they stood with him. But here's the point. There were people who were once disciples of Jesus, and they left. They walked away. And so I want to entertain that question tonight and ask the question, why do people leave Scripture? Why do people turn their backs from God's inspired Word? I think there are several answers to that several more than what we're going to deal with tonight, but I would like for us to consider a few things. And first, by way of allegory, I suppose, there was a book written in 1843 by Nathaniel Hawthorne. What uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne did was he, he wrote an article entitled The New Adam and Eve. And in this story, what Hawthorne does is he he portrays. Well, there was a man by the name of William Miller who lived at the time. He was predicting the end of the world and some other things. And and what Miller did was said. Um, well, what Hawthorne did is said. What if what if Miller's right? What if the world were to just come to an end? All life ceased. And God decided to start all over, not from something totally brand new, but to start life again with just um, two people, a new Adam and a new Eve. So Hawthorne wrote a little essay about what it might have happened or what might have happened if this new Adam and Eve were just dropped down into a city full of everything that the people were just gone. And so he begins to ride and, and Adam and Eve, as they come to uh, this awareness of their surroundings, they begin to wonder where in the world they are and how strange certain things look. They desired to live in the clouds, but they didn't know a way to get there. They, there was something pulling them down. And so they began to walk around town, and they went to several places. They went to a, a, a dry goods store, and they looked at the clothing there and couldn't figure out why anybody would want to put this on because it seemed like that would be something that was worn, and they looked with curiosity all the little things in that store. Then they went to a church, and there was something about the nature of that church building that they said drew their attention upward, but the roof seemed to get in the way to them. There ought not to have been that barrier between them and the heavens and Then they went to a justice center as the the courthouse and and the jail, and uh, they were just fascinated by what that might have been used for. And then finally, they go to a library. And in the library, they find all these heavy, dusty books, and they don't know quite what to do with them. Eve wants to get out of the place. She said it smells a little musty and stuffy in here. Adam had this sense that the answer's... To their inquiries, were probably in these books. And if I could just read one section from uh, his short essay, here's what Hawthorne wrote, and here's what we pick up with Adam and Eve. What can this be? He murmurs at last. Eve, methinks nothing is so desirable as to find out the mystery of this big and heavy object with its thousands of thin divisions. See, it stares me in the face as if it were to about to speak. Then Eve says, My dear Adam, you look pensive and dismal. Do fling down that stupid thing, for even if it should speak, it would not be worth attending to. Let us talk with one another, and with the sky and the green earth and the trees and the flowers, they will teach us better knowledge than we can find here. Well, Eve, perhaps you're right, replies Adam, with a sort of sigh. Still, I cannot help but thinking that the interpretation of the riddles amidst which we have been wandering all day long might here be discovered. It may be better not to seek the interpretation, persists Eve. For my part, the air in this place does not suit me. If you love me, come away. Well, I think that begs to be allegorized. That statement of Eve, they hold in their hands a book that has the potential to explain everything about their situation. And Adam wants to seek into it and to look into it. And Eve says, if you love me, you'll come away. She says, throw that thing down. Just fling it to the ground. We have no use for that. Let's leave. Let's walk away. If you love me, you'll do it. What is it that causes men to walk away from God, to listen to a voice other than the voice that comes from God that asks them or entices them, if you love me, walk away from those scriptures. It's, there's nothing there for you. Well, I want to give you three things this evening that I think call us away from scripture. The first one is the world. The world can call us away. In Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, one of the saddest passages in the Bible where Paul is coming to the end of his life and he's telling about various people in his life and, oh, by the way, Demas. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He was discouraged by the, the departure of Demas. Demas walked away. Because he loved the world more than he loved the God who gave the scriptures that we're talking about. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25, there's an interesting statement where Moses was living as a son of Pharaoh, son of Pharaoh's daughter, living in the palace, having all the advantages that would have come with that. But there came a time in Moses' life where he decided... To endure the afflictions with his people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, sometimes we as Christians aren't exactly honest. We tell people, Christianity, boy, you want to get rid of your problems? Become a Christian. There's no good in the life. There's no fun in in that life. You need to become a Christian because that's where the enjoyment in life is. And, folks, there is enjoyment in life. But don't say there's no enjoyment in sin because that's just not true. That's why we do it is because we find enjoyment and pleasure in it. But Moses could have been called away from service to God by the pleasures of the world. But he was strong enough to say, I would choose affliction that is temporary than to achoo- choose um, pleasure that is temporary. In First John 2, verses 15 through 17, you know, Paul, John says, there's just the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life in this world. All those things are enmity against God. But those are the very things that, man, they, they tug at us. The very first sin in the in the Garden of Eden, when Eve sees this tree and she's enticed by Satan, and she sees the tree that it's good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it's pleasant to behold, lust of the eyes, and it's desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. She gave into that. Those things have a pull on our life, and there are many other things. Um, And those take many forms in life, but they call people away. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 13 tells of an interesting occasion when the children of Israel were, well, they were out of Egyptian bondage. Things weren't the best because they had been faithless and they had to wander in the wilderness. But while they had been delivered from the Egyptians who were harsh taskmasters, you know what they said to Moses? In one of their complaints to Moses, they said, Moses, why have you brought us out of the land that flows with milk and honey to bring us to here? The land that flows with milk and honey? These are the people that were slaves in this land. They they were working under harsh taskmasters who wouldn't even give them all the supplies to do their job efficiently. And they have... This view of the way it used to be as a land that flowed with milk and honey, distorted pictures, and people still get distorted pictures. People will begin to walk with God, and after a few years, they remember how good life used to be, how fun, how much fun and enjoyment I used to have. And they'll give up on God and Scripture to go back to that former way of life. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, though, reminds us, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and and lose your own soul? What shall a man gain in exchange for his soul? That question is asked by Jesus. The world calls us. It beckons us like that new Eve did. Adam, if you love me, come away. And the world calls to us and says the same thing. I've got things for you that you would enjoy. Just come with me and enjoy life. But it's a bad choice. But that is why some people turn from Scripture. Another reason why people turn turn from Scripture is that our companions call us away. I'm not talking about just in terms of marriage, but I'm talking about our company in general. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 says that evil company evil companions corrupt good morals. And I want you to take note of what it says. Evil company corrupts good morals. It doesn't corrupt the morals of those who are already leaning that direction. Your bad company can corrupt good morals. I've had parents come to me before and say, i I can't believe that my son or my daughter would be involved in that. They just wouldn't do that. They don't understand the power of influence. It is within the realm of possibility for good people to make terrible choices because of the company that they keep. Proof of that is seen in Galatians chapter 2. You know, there was a man by the name of Barnabas. Every time you read about him, with the exception of this place, every time you read about him, God is bragging on him. He's a good man. He's a son of encouragement. He's full of the Spirit. He's sent to Antioch to be an encourager of the brethren there. Everything, Every time you read about him, he's doing something good, except for in Galatians 2 where we see that he gets carried away with the sin of discrimination But you know how he got carried away with that? Because of his company. But you know who his company was? The apostle Peter. And you know how Peter got carried away? Because of his company. And you know who who his company was? Judaizing brethren. Some men that didn't have a right heart. There's an example of a good man who is led away by another good man. Who's led away by bad company. Folks, your companions will help to shape the course of your life. You better be careful, very careful about the company that you choose to keep because you'll more than likely become like them. When I was in college, I had uh, Brother Earl Edwards. He had just come to Freed Hardeman at the time, and I had a class, preacher in his work class with, with him, and he had done an interesting study. Uh, where he recorded 20 years of statistics dealing with the young people in uh, Arkansas where he had previously preached. And uh, he had compiled and kept track of how many remained faithful and how many left the church after and how many married and all these kind of stats. And when I was a student and he went through all that, I thought, well, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that when I get out and preach. Well... I did that, and I have kept 21 years of statistics from Glasgow, and uh, Brother Earl and I were in Colorado not too long ago, and we were talking about some of those things, and and he said, I still have stats, and I have them from two different places, one place in Oklahoma, another place in Arkansas, and I said, well, I've got 21 years' worth in um, Glasgow, and so we shared each other's material. This is, this is compelling. Of the people that married, of the young people that graduated from these three congregations located in Oklahoma, in Arkansas, and in Kentucky, there's a geographical difference there, pretty significant. But here's, here's what was discovered. And this is each one of these congregations span a period of 20 years. Mine was 21 but in the congregation Oklahoma, there were 79 young people who married non-Christians. 79 young people married non-Christians. 57 of them have since left the church, left Christ, which that totals out to 72% of those who married those who did not have a relationship with God. They ended up losing their relationship with God. That's disturbing, but maybe that's just an anomaly. The study that was done in Wynn, Arkansas, over a period of 20 years, had 72 young people who left that congregation, married non-Christians, and 61 of them left their faith. That's 85% in that particular congregation. And then in Kentucky... Over a period of 21 years, there were 70 who married non-Christians and 56 of them left the faith for 80%. What does that say? That says to me that your companion has a lot to do with your faith. Now... There may be folks here who have married non-Christians and you converted them. And, you know, to that I say, God bless you. I- I'm so happy for you, seriously, genuinely, because that is not the norm. You are the exception. I want us to understand, and I want young people to understand the importance of selecting someone to marry and to spend the rest of your life with in pursuit of an all-consuming goal, to marry someone who loves God supremely. Because if you don't do that, the odds are against you staying, remaining faithful. It's a hard road to travel. I know a lady who married, she loves her husband dearly, but she said it has been one of the most difficult journeys through life that you can ever imagine. Because in her situation, it is a fight the whole way through. I'm just saying there are things that call us away. Our companions, our friends, our mates, they can do that. They can say, listen, if you love me, come away. Another thing that can call us away, and this will be the last one that I'm going to mention tonight, is our traditions can call us away. The Bible speaks in Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees in this occasion. He said, you know, these people, they draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Isn't it amazing how that we have been so presumptuous to develop doctrinal Sets of beliefs and elevate those to the position of the Word of God. Jesus said not only to elevate it to the level of the Word of God, but to trump the Word of God. The Bible tells us of an occasion in Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 23 where um, the disciples were not honoring their father and mother because of their own elevated position, their traditions, there are a lot of folks who have a lot of traditions, a lot of ideas about Scripture, a lot of preferences, a lot of opinions that aren't the doctrine of Christ, but they're sure, they, they sure do set with their own liking, and they can become so wedded to those opinions that they will divide the body of Christ over those things. I once heard a lady say, and, and she was bragging, I would have been ashamed, but she was bragging about how strict her father was. And she said, you know how Jesus even gave an excuse or, or a reason to remarry after divorce in Matthew 19, if, if fornication was involved, that, that he gave the right to remarry? My dad wouldn't even allow that. And, he, and she was bragging on that as a badge of, of faithfulness. There's nothing faithful about that nothing to brag about. I don't want to make laws and I don't want to spy out the liberty of my brethren. I don't want to misrepresent God. I want to to teach what he once taught and I don't want to add addendums to the gospel of Christ. Paul once said if we allow that to go on, the gospel can become so perverted you don't even recognize it. We need to stand for the truth. I like my opinions. I wouldn't have them if I didn't like them. Uh, They're my opinions, and I really like my opinions. But I have to understand the difference between my opinion and the Word of God. And I can't be called away from Scripture because I like something better than God's divine arrangement. Those are things that pull people, that call people away from God. Well, in conclusion tonight, let me just say this: I hope that we will be aware that there are many calls in life, if heeded, will well, they'll lead us away from Scripture. but it becomes incumbent upon us to remain faithful to God because someday that word will be your judge. In John 12 and verse 48, Jesus said, You can reject me and my words, but let me tell you something. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. You can say, I don't believe it. I'm not going to do it. I like something better. I love this, and so I'm going to go away. You can heed those calls. But at the end of the day, the Word of God is going to be our judge. Folks, don't listen to the voices that call you away from Scripture. You stick to the Word of God and you'll navigate life very well and you'll be rewarded in the next life with eternity and fellowship with God and with all the saints. Don't leave Scripture. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, maybe you haven't turned your life over to God to listen to His instruction One of the things that, here's here's what Jesus said, when he gave the disciples the commission to go preach the gospel to the whole world, he told them to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Jesus said, I want you to obey the gospel, and I want you, as you learn, do what I said. I want you to do everything I've taught. If there's someone here tonight that maybe hasn't yet been baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but you know I've learned that. I've seen that in Scripture. Jesus said it. Do what you know. Obey what you know. And continue to live your life with that kind of submission to the Lord. That whatever he says, I'm committed to do. I may not know all the things he's yet called me to do. But I have the determination to follow him no matter where he leads. If you want to make that commitment tonight, we'll baptize you into Christ. And as a disciple of Jesus, having already been baptized, maybe you need to get back to that resolve that I'm going to follow Jesus and I will not be called away by anything or anyone. If you need to repent, seek the forgiveness of the church, the prayers of the church, the forgiveness of God, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.